Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today we're taking a quick trip in the TARDIS with Classic Who. Today it's Who Classic. Today's episode is Silver Nemesis. It's the 25th anniversary season, this being the third serial in the season, and it started off with Remembrance of the Daleks, which we already covered. This story is written by Kevin Clark, directed by Chris Clough. It originally aired on the 23rd of November through the 7th of December, 1988. Part one was watched by 6.1 million viewers, got the most views. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. Hi, this is Heather. Hello, this is Kelsey. Hey, this is Josh. Hi, this is Brian. Hi, it's Frank. This is no madness. This is England. Hi, this is Auburn. (laughs) In 1988, South America, a group of Nazis toast the coming of the Fourth Reich. Their leader, De Flores, carries a silver bow. In 1683 Windsor, the Lady Painfort and her servant Richard discuss a special silver arrow and discover that a comet will hit Windsor on November 23rd, 1988. Drinking a potion, they travel through time to 1988 Windsor. In the present, the doctor's watch sets off an alarm reminding the doctor that the Earth is in imminent danger a danger he's known about since 1638. Nearby, the comet, which is actually a spaceship, crashes. The doctor knows that Lady Painfort built a statue of herself with silver that fell from the sky. De Flores places the silver bow on the ship, which begins to reanimate the statue inside. The doctor tells De Flores that if the silver bow and arrow are brought together, the silver statue will come alive and destroy the planet. Suddenly, a spaceship lands filled with Cybermen. I like how automatically uh, all Germans, especially Nazis, listen to Wagner. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I almost put that in the summary just because it was so funny. Fly to the Valkyrie is just, you know, ingrained. <laughs> yeah, they not, bring not that just up. Wagner, but... <laughs> yeah, they even bring that up in, uh, in Curb Your Enthusiasm oh. when... Uh, when Larry's like singing or humming Wagner and then there's a Jewish guy behind him like, what are you doing? <laughs> I thought the Nazis were particularly uh, funny, you know, like, yeah. and, I, and I think you have to kind of portray fascists a little bit like uh, silly in order to, you know, take away some of their power, but- uh, A little Hogan's heroesy. Yeah, and I was definitely getting like Leslie Nielsen vibes <laughs> from Flora. <laughs> Yeah, I will. I will say though. I will say though that like when he said, you know, this is the rise of the Fourth Reich. Like the cut to them, and they're just—it's like a scene out of Stripes. (laughs) There's like four of them in the room or something. Yeah, where are those? I mean, Fourth Reich. Yeah, cool. I could tell it was supposed to be like a dramatic moment, and they just central casting. Who who owns camos uh, in your wardrobe? Come on down to the Doctor Who shoot. You know, well, he was... be white, have blonde hair or gray hair. Right. And have he... just the most perfect, perfect, subtle German accents you can 
dude. <laughs> Very subtle. Um, you know he's a bad guy right away when he's gonna kill a parrot. He's like, okay, this is a bad guy. <laughs> and then they come back. It was a pigeon. Oh, it was a parrot. No, no, no. Oh, he was, was about parrot. to shoot a parrot. Then it cuts to uh, Lady Panafort in the next scene, and she Jeez. almost kills a pigeon. Oh, silly me. Yes, almost kills a pigeon. That's that's. So that's, I thought, you know, since, the bad since guy. they took so much care and attention into that whole like bird killing moment, I thought that was gonna matter somehow. Yeah. Yes. So I kept should... waiting for like bird stuff, but like well, there was never. I any think it, it established that they both have the bow, like it, it linked them together in that way. And That's what it was hearts. for. <laughs> it, it was. It was. Yes, exactly. It was for that purpose, and also like. These are bad people trying to kill animals. And they're terrible shots. Because neither one <laughs> yes, of the birds yeah. is flying. <laughs> just right, one's right. on the ground, the other one's stuck in a tree. Like... They're, no, they're no ace with a slingshot. True. <laughs> I think that um, transition in that like really abrupt time jump right in the beginning was kind of, it was disorienting, but at the same hmm. time, or disorientating, I don't know which one of those hmm. is proper English. Um, but at the same time, I was kind of like, ooh, I was excited because I we were going to get, you know, Nazis and some old school England. So I was like, <laughs> okay, that'll be a nice mixture going on, I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the jumping back and forth between 1988 and 1638, it was happening very quickly all at once at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I, I, one of my favorite moments in this episode is when Lady Painfort and her uh, servant time travel and they're yeah. in like like you know sh they're giving it their all <laughs> i mean they and, are committing and, to that bit. but then they land in 1988 and i loved that moment i think i laughed yeah. <laughs> out of just sheer joy that like it looked i thought it looked good i was like oh, yeah it was works. very subtle like <laughs> the only thing wrong with it was like the people in the restaurant didn't seem all that thrown well yeah, they did they, kind of do like that i didn't even notice my they're yeah, very they were very British about it. They're very, very stoic. British, right, right, right. You know, just I oh, did like yeah. it I did like though that when they traveled through time there was a similar sounds to when the TARDIS traveled. I thought. Ooh, oh I didn't notice I that. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it was a similar sound in the background of uh, oh. of like the, the time tunnel. That's cool. I think the people at the pub were thinking, I drink too much or I need to drink more. So that was <laughs> <laughs> It, it was weird that it was a potion that traveled them through time. Normally with Doctor Who, it's some sort of contraption. Yeah, so mm -hmm. do we have any, what's the one-line explanation for that that she gave? Or do we have Black any magic. kind of explanation? Just Later. Yeah, and, and I get that that's not the focus. The focus is let's get these people together so that havoc yeah. can ensue. <laughs> and yeah. the arrow. He mentioned like the arrow helped her do it as well. Like this, mm -hmm. you know, this. Oh, okay. Wanting to be with Because if it were just Black Magic, I would love to see them use that again in a future episode yeah. where there's like some witchy stuff going on. That'd be cool. Oh, and going back to uh, South America, the date on his old fashioned computers, November 23rd, which is the uh, premiere of Doctor Who, except yep. 1988. So the, so the, this first episode actually aired on the actual 25th anniversary. Yes. Okay. So, cause I always thought it was remembrance of the Daleks, but I guess that just signaled the beginning of of the season of the 25th season. Okay. Yeah. So when we did Remembrance of the Daleks, there was a lot of uh, 
anniversary callbacks and Easter eggs, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of feel like they did that throughout this whole season because this is the third story in the season and they're still doing these uh, anniversary homages. That's why they even made it silver, right? Being silver, being special. Yep. Yeah, they uh, did that for the 25th. right in front of my face and I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the thing is, it also is Cybermen and they're always silver. So it's really not, you know, it doesn't oh, stand yeah. out. But classic, oh, the, the, the classic mystery. Heather. <laughs> Take another pill. And, and this is still like uninterrupted from the the very first Doctor Who, or yes. has there been breaks? Okay, no, that that's correct. This is the last Doctor classic Doctor um, before they take that break. Right, because then the next thing is the movie. Yes, okay. and there's only one. Well, isn't that break a cancellation? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> at the Shush. time, at the, at the time, time yes. In hindsight, <laughs> a break. Sorry. We were on a break. <laughs> And at um, the time of the show, when they come into the jazz performance, it's like, why are two people wearing headphones? Oh, they were Cybermen. Yeah, they were Cybermen. I, well, I didn't notice them the first watch. They were, I they did. Were it was me- hysterical. I did not get that they were Cybermen. Only. They were yeah, members yeah. only for Cybermen. <laughs> jazz is for everyone, you know? They don't... They, uh, uh, I had a silver members only jacket. It, 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 <laughs> it, was a thing. it was good. I had one. I had a maroon one. I had a blue one. I had a gray one. <laughs> Yeah, but I had silver. God, I love that jacket. It was a thing. Anyway. Um, and then they just start shooting at the doctor. And it's like, who are they and why? And with the because, medical, because I never made that connection. Because later on. Time, because I don't think they really did anything like that. They didn't do a previously. single thing with it. But later on, you do see. Right. Le, De, De Flores has uh, yeah. headphones on. For like mm-hmm. two seconds. And then the next scene, he doesn't. So it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah that's supposed to be part of the conversion. Yes, cyberization. Yeah, and again, you shouldn't be able to take them off if that's. Oh well, I guess they tricked it. It was a double double cross. Yeah, they didn't tell anybody that their Wi-Fi was off, so it wasn't working. There was no Wi-Fi. I did think the cyber goons were a little too goofy. Like, oh yeah, when they shot uh, Ace and the Doctor, and they fell into the water they're like smiling at, at it yeah. and then just like walk away and so it was hard to yeah they were a little we're more also... goofier than i think the cyber goons that we see later in the the yeah. reboot they're also very yeah. unimposing they just look like people with headphones <laughs> they don't and, look like assassins and i also wanted the tape decks that they were using to have some sort of like connection later mm-hmm. because... oh that's right the cassette tape he yeah. picks up a cassette tape at the meteor site. It's like after the it, cops die, like one of them. So yeah, put it in the Walkman, and then hanging. the electricity. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of confusing. So, so uh, Sylvester McCoy was—he uh, had the flu, so that there's a stunt double that falls into the water with Ace, and hmm. so that's why you kind of hear her line is. Uh, added in afterwards she's not really speaking i can't remember what she says but you see her I back hope my tape's okay yeah yes so. you just say that yes i laughed going well that was the most adr adr line i'd <laughs> ever seen and heard uh, and when she said that i was like well i guess that's gonna come up again yeah and then speaking of that her tape deck was destroyed in remembrance of the daleks if we remember that and then the doctor has replaced it since it looks heavy i would not want to lug that around yeah was, that's uh, how it was, it was like in the 80s 
It, it was, was just part yeah. of the '80s. It's just etched to your shoulder. Oh, the boombox? No, I think. Yeah. I thought the boombox was the doctor's contraption, and she had yeah. a real like Walkman. Well, uh, yeah, but he oh, I see what you're saying. She had to carry the contraption around. Yeah, she did. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. And plus, and plus, those had I think D batteries, so those are the heavy ones. Just Ooh, think yeah. about that. <laughs> Brutal. But it I was also portable. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the '80s. Awkwardly yes. portable. That was the big thing then. <laughs> and we liked those it. Those camcorders. Oof. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> also, like Frank, the... with the camcorder, I think Frank just always had one surgically attached to his shoulder because he always had one of those. <laughs> I was vlogging before there was such a thing. <laughs> what I was liking, and it's as it's just a consequence. It's I mean, coincidence. It's just a coincidence. It has nothing else. But the doctor wearing a fez it was so much fun to see that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that yeah. Going yeah. back to seeing that he wore yeah. those before. That's another one where uh, he got it. He first got it, or the modern version, he got it in the, the Big Bang, and because he had the mop to indicate which one he was in, and as far as like which time uh, doctor, I'm saying that wrong, which, which, <laughs> which out of continuity in time travel the doctor was in, was uh, indicated by the uh, Fez and the mop. But then also in the day of the doctor, when they are in the Black Archive with Clara, uh, Matt Smith does this great take where he he looks at a fez and it's archived and he's like ah, and then she's like, is there ever going to be a fez that you just don't mm -hmm. walk by and like not geek out over? He's like, no, never. <laughs> so it's cool to see in this one that and they're also rummaging through a sort of basementy, archivey thing. Isn't that where Matt Smith uh, got the fez as well? Like he got it in like a museum or archivey thing as well? Yes. Mm -hmm. He got his in the black archive, the right. unit, the unit archive. Yeah. At the jazz concert, I thought it was a very modern, like problem when the doctor's alarm goes off. Today we would say, "Oh, who's who's got their cell phone on?" But there, uh, Ace said uh, she hates it when alarms go off at gigs. So uh, the more things change, you know, the more they stay the same. I'm sure right. it's been an issue forever. But we think but it's. But also, modern. it's so relatable. I have so really, you remember though that, you that that I don't remember what they are. So I was like, "Wow!" Even though this is 1988, I feel this. Mm -hmm. Like, I really feel mm -hmm. this in my gut. It was one of the most annoying things. Is a lot of people would have those phones, and they would automatically have it set to beep on the hour. Oh yeah. And yes. so you'd be sitting in class, and you'd hear like three or four, beep beep, beep beep. Maybe it's like, did you really need to know that it was one o'clock right now? I used to wear a digital watch that beeped every hour. You were I annoying me. I was on my toes. <laughs> I had a calculator. <laughs> yeah, I had one too. I loved that, that thing too. God, I miss the 80s. That thing lasted me till I think high school, freshman year, it broke. Speaking there of was... which, my alarm just went off to feed my cats, so I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> there was one scene in this. Yeah. <laughs> There was one scene in this that just looks so weird when they're showing the doctor. I think it was when he was looking at the crashed asteroid spaceship and, and his scarf goes in front of his face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was yes. that on a string? Because no. the way that so, it looked. Yeah, so they wanted to cheat it. They they got a fan and they blew. They turned it on on Ace and the doctor. So it's like, oh, the spaceship is landing. It's creating things in the atmosphere. <laughs> I don't remember that moment. I'd have to go back and watch. 
I was struck end. by end of um, se- episode one. Mm. I was struck by how the watch didn't have Gallifrey Frey and writing on it like they do in the modern Who. Mm. Yeah, like the first thing when he opened it up, I, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't have expected it to thinking about it, but like as soon as I saw it and it wasn't, you know, it was just a digital watch. Uh, it, it struck me as different. He was in his non-homesick period. Right. <laughs> oh, going back to that, the uh, jazz quartet, that is uh, Courtney Pine. He's a, he's an actual British saxophonist, and he's a Professor Pine. He was awarded the CBE, the Commander of the Order of the British Empire, in 2009 for his services to jazz music. And <laughs> the, the, the quartet playing with him are also... Uh, I guess band or musician members or part of his band, uh, Adrian Reed, Ernest Mothel, and Frank Tonto. I knew they had to be somebody when she asked for his autograph. Yeah, so I, I don't know who, would, I mean, like, I, I'm only thinking of, like, Kenny G, but then I don't even know if I'd want Kenny G's autograph. <laughs> yeah, but if you like jazz. So Kenny G's jazz now? <laughs> no, 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 not no, no, that's not what I meant. I mean, if you like jazz, you would like what he was playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did anyone think that the living metal was going to be the Terminator? Yes, I did. <laughs> I was like, please. Oh, no. And it was like, this is what it turns out to be. But... It's funny, in, in the commentary on the DVD, every time some special effects happen, they're like, well, here's some dodgy effects. So even they are <laughs> acknowledging that the effects are not the best. So I kind of like that. <laughs> I will say, though, I like their use. Like, most everything was, you know, shot with models, miniatures the same way they did Star Wars. It was just because it was yeah. on video and, you know, the cameras are different and stuff like that, that um, it didn't look good. But, like, as far as, like, when the ship landed and all that, th- you know, it was done. It, like, it all worked. Nothing looked like it was, like, wonky. It just was, like, it just was horribly yeah. composited and things like that. So at you're... the exact same time, what gets me is that at the exact same time, this was third season star trek next generation and you look at what the next generation was doing as compared to doctor who and it was just kind of like come on guys come on yeah it's the the late 80s if you're gonna do it put some money into it Um, it did look like they're trying to kill the show they're trying to let it die it's a good point Mm, but where they did use the money in this uh yeah I guess season is all the pyrotechnics because that was awesome. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, Remembrance of the Daleks had a bunch of things exploding. They blew up a Dalek, and then in this one, the Cybermen and the neo Nazis sort of are combating each other. It's just wow. That's where you put the money. Okay. <laughs> I think my favorite part was when they had the squibs going off on the railings. Yeah. It's like, okay, see, you really didn't need to do that for Doctor Who, but you did, and that's great. Yeah. You know. I think that stuff just is easily accessible. What kind of guns were the neo-Nazis? Oh, that's a sign of the 80s, the Uzi. The Uzi was popular <laughs> in the 80s because it was a oh, yeah. a small machine pistol that could do a rapid rate of fire. Does it really sound like that, though? They sound like cap guns. No, it's oh. probably because they were cap guns. Those, those didn't seem like real blanks or anything. It was just some sort of... There was no muzzle flash. I mean, I'm just surprised they didn't you know, put a better sound effect over it. But are you? I guess I'm not surprised. No, I'm not surprised at all. Wrong wording. You I wish they more. had. There you go. I will say this. I thought one of the best effects throughout was the glowing bow and arrow. Because it didn't like cover yeah. up. I found it. I mean, I'm a little colorblind, so I didn't necessarily, I don't know if it was green or this, that, or the other, but 
the way it was glowing, uh, it, it looked seamless. Like I kind of wonder how they did it. It was I have a, a theory. In, it was an in-camera trick because me and Brian were talking about that. They just raided um, the uh, Richard Donner Superman, and they took the Kryptonian. That's what stuff. I was. That's what right, they did. Right. That's because at the end, when you see the statue, I was like, I wonder if they used the Superman material or. Oh, so they actually used the very material that was in Superman? Not the very material, but, you know, the same material. The same Not, idea. Yeah. Right, right, right. And then what and happens is that it's a it's a particular material that if you shine UV light on it, it exposes it in such a way on camera like that. No, it did look good. And it was nice that they were able to make it look like it glowed. I don't know if they assisted that with more, like, VFX after, but the bow and the arrows glowing and then the the statues glowing was really neat. I mean, they were definitely mixing like practical with the the extra graphics, like the time travel yeah. sequence and also when yeah. the, the cyber goons were getting electrified after mm -hmm. the police. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, that, that particular one, did you guys notice the shadow move across the goons? Like the two goons are there with the headphones on and they get the zap. But there's like a, a shadow that moves over one of them. And I think it's to darken them so they can shine a light on their faces to help the effect. But huh. yeah, this is kind of clumsy. To hide their acting. I will say this for, you know, the lower quality production of the video and the way it's shot and things like that. This is a really epic shoot like very extensive with shot choices and not necessarily all the shot choices were great but like it wasn't really economically shot and, and i'm not saying in a bad way like they went for it or like they i think because of the ease of video now that video cameras fit on your shoulder as opposed to when they went outdoors during tom baker's time even like it was an ordeal to shoot outside so they would shoot a lot of long takes a lot of stuff from a distance and stuff like that and it would feel more like a play Whereas this, they just kept, if they needed a shot, they shot it. And there was a lot of, a lot of uh, ambitious stuff uh, too, anyway. Yeah, I liked all the on, all the on location shots or on location shooting. We're outside, we're by a river, we're in a, a, a warehouse, we're in Windsor. Oh, we're at the castle. Right. Did that, hap did that happen in this part one where they saw the queen? Or is that part I think two? it's yes, in part two. Is. Okay, no, I think it, no, it's in part one because. Oh, you're right. It is part one. I'm they go right under now. in the basement. Right. I love how there's a sign that's just like, "This is where the royal apartments are. <laughs> Don't come in here." Yeah, Windsor has those, by the way. <laughs> wow, really? But there was no guard anywhere. Well, there was someone who, uh, if you watch The Crown, I found out that um, someone did just kind of like make their way into the breaking and entering into the castle into her bedroom at one point that i think it was in the 80s maybe this yeah, is a reference like... to that oh that was the 90s yeah. right it was the 80s it was the 80s yeah so yeah, maybe this is a reference that's why they got canceled yeah. <laughs> and she just she just chatted with him until the guards showed up oh. right oh yes i nice. do remember that hmm. um but that is not windsor castle that opening shot is stock footage and then they go to Arendelle Castle to double as Windsor, and they got a uh, in Lord of the Rings. Is the place in Frozen? <laughs> oh, oh, that's what it was. Frozen. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. <laughs> and 
And then they got a, a Queen Elizabeth lookalike who has pretty much made her career playing Queen Elizabeth in like the comedy shows. Yeah. Very good lookalike. And then I, another, like, I, I also like that they had the corgis. Yeah. Queen yeah. without the corgis. Mm -hmm. And uh, John Nathan Turner, who was kind of like the uh, showrunner at the time, since this was the 25th anniversary, he, want, he sent a letter to Prince Edward asking him to appear. Prince Edward declined, and so that's why they got a, a look-alike. And then those tourists that are part, like the the Doctor and Ace kind of join in, those are all people from the show, like a bunch of writers, directors, and then one of them is Nicholas Courtney, who plays the Brigadier. Oh, wow. Oh, I, oh. I want to look at that again. I think it works better that it was the look-alike with the dogs as opposed to Prince Edward, because if I saw Prince Edward in a show, I, I probably wouldn't recognize him, whereas... A woman of her, you know, she's more visually famous, and then she's got her corgis. Like that, just says the queen. That's just a, a symbol of yeah, queen that, Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. That was very the dogs timely. gave it away, but then when you see her outfit in her hair, you're like, oh. It was a better choice because it's timeless. Yeah. yeah. But yes. in 1988, I bet it would have been like, oh my god, it's the actual Prince Edward. You know. Sure, sure, but even though but even yeah. though he's the he's the boring one, but he's happy right. to be the boring one now. <laughs> very true. true topical and also sorry i just have to say it he was cute okay moving on <laughs> <laughs> i like how they ended it where the doctor says i'll tell you 350 years ago <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah okay then we go into the next one <laughs> it's also a good cliffhanger the cybermen emerging yeah because they're yeah. introduced yeah kinda... yeah wait where, where'd that come from mm -hmm. yeah i wasn't expecting that because i wasn't familiar with anything so um in hindsight it was really obvious with the headphones <laughs> yeah. and yes. stuff like that. But, like, um, I also, you know, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Like, these older episodes with the Cybermen that have personalities mm -hmm. always kind of rub me the wrong way. But, I mean, that's how they were before the ones that I knew. So I can't really complain about it. Yeah, and that's Yeah, it's like new movie viewers have been the, trained. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's why, Josh, a lot of classic Who fans don't like the new Cybermen. I see. Because... You know, and it's really it's really apparent in this one because the cyber leader is so like human. You know, yeah. there was even my, what, my one part one part in the last episode where he's just kind of like standing around and they're chatting what they're going to do. <laughs> and it's like, again, that wouldn't happen today. Um, and and so yeah, so like classic Who fans don't like how robotic the mm. Cybermen they became much more Borg. Right. I, I, when they were chatting so casually, I was like, are they in a chat room? <laughs> <laughs> And I don't, I don't know if you noticed the black handles on the cyber leader. That's how the, you indicate who the leader is in the group. I didn't notice. I didn't notice either. So if the um, Cybermen weren't originally like they, like I knew them from New Who, what what was their whole deal? Like what were they? They what? were a humanoid race in a different planet that wanted to prolong their life and make themselves better by eliminating emotion. Well, they didn't do a very good job of it, right? <laughs> and organs, I'm assuming. Well, they uh, have certain, personality. Or certain organs, yeah, certain organs. They just use the brain, don't they? They're not run by emotion, Brian, what? They're not, they don't use, they, I, I thought they just used the brain and the rest was robotic. Well, the brain, the heart, and the nerve. Hmm. So Wizard that of Oz, basically. That was, yeah, exactly, that's <laughs> what I was going for there. <laughs> <laughs> the knife. The Cybermen attack everyone. The Doctor steals the bow, and he and Ace escape. 
Painfort and Richard go to Painfort's tomb looking for the statue, and the Nazis find them there. Richard gives them the arrow and the statue. The Doctor discovers that there is a cyber fleet of thousands of ships heading towards Earth. The Doctor and Ace decide to offer the bow to the Cybermen, but instead, the Doctor uses the bow to awaken the statue. They run and the statue follows them. The Doctor gives the bow to the statue and then makes repairs to the Comet ship, intending for the statue to use it to destroy the Cyber fleet. The Nazis arrive, take the bow, and enjoy their victory. But then the Cyber Leader arrives and kills most of the Nazis. I kind of felt like this whole, the whole action interaction between the Nazis, once they get into close quarters with each other, it was almost like a Three Stooges routine. No, yes. you take this. No, give me that. Give me that. Give me that. Yep. Um, but one cool thing that I saw in this is there was that sort of running thing that they do in the show with the, the TARDIS getting hit by a, an arrow. So we have that in here. It happened in Gridlock and the Shakespeare Code, and then it happened in Robot of Sherwood in the Modern Who. So I like that that's something that keeps going on. Um, I'm curious, a uh, little, little tech uh, trivia question. Um, so in the opening credits, when Sylvester McCoy's face pops up, is he wearing like some like metallic-like makeup all over his face? Because it, yeah. it looked like that more than just the way that the video was filmed. Yeah, I can't remember what they did, but they did makeup on him, and then that's why his hair is so not his hair. <laughs> oh, really? You just have to be, yeah. It, it's funny because they shoot that stuff before they like get into proper production because they did that with John Pertwee, where his hair is kind of shorter. It's not that that curly wiliness that we know. Mm -hmm. And then that's what they use for the opening, and then when they bring it back for uh, Sylvester McCoy, it's like they shot it as soon as he was casted or something because it's... His hair is completely different in yeah. uh, in the the shows that that, the, that aired. Right. I really like the music for the main titles on these. The, I do too. It grew. It, yeah. The, right. It's it feels classic, but it also feels um, like not too eighties for yeah. for me. But it, it feels really like strong. And I know like the original music was also kind of at the forefront of that electronic Electro sound. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of is ca caught up. The only thing that's really 80s in that main title is the logo. Yes. The doctor <laughs> in like a weird yellow font and the yeah. who in this big blocky letters. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing about those when I When I saw the, the titles, uh, I wondered, would that have, would I have thought the same thing in the 80s? Like if I was watching this when I was a kid, would I have just thought, oh, it looks like a cool logo? Or would I have been like, that looks so cheesy? Uh, like, I don't know. well, but there were like, we were, you know, the, you know, when they have like those asteroid computer graphic things in the beginning flying, yeah. I remember things like that, especially on your network sci-fi shows. And yeah, we were like sitting there going, well, that doesn't look very good, but it was better than anything we'd ever had. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was, was kind of like, ah. there's this trend in the eighties of making things colorful and futuristic looking that never really was able to hit right. Pastels were big. Pastels were very big. Yeah, why are we wearing more pastels these days? More neon? <laughs> That's what they, they always said the future would look that way. Auburn, you bringing up like you you enjoying that it's not 280s. I think it's because it's like, to me, I always say that the, I, I like the 80s music and it's going to be timeless because it's chock full of preservatives. So I think that's why <laughs> uh, this particular theme song does that. Because <laughs> it's all synthesized, you know. Yes. <laughs> and saxophones. Hey, I love saxophones. There should be more saxophones in modern music. That's all I'm saying. Especially with your shirt, Heather. That's right. I'm a jazz gal. <laughs>
Um, so the doctor, every time they went back to that tent, you know, he kept playing the chess game. And am I, like, not smart or... Who else is moving the pieces? Is he playing with himself or is he... He said the pieces were moved when he came back. Who is he playing chess with? I'm so... This, uh, this, this particular script suffered from a lot of things and, like, without going too much into it, the Cybermen weren't originally, like, in the first draft, they weren't there. They were, they were asked to be put in because of the, uh, Silver anniversary, the 25th anniversary, so they said Cybermen. And, um, Sylvester McCoy wanted to also fight or face off with the classic villains because he hadn't done that in his first season so this season starts off with the Daleks in remembrance of the Daleks he gets the uh, Cybermen in this episode and then he'll get the Master in the next season the writer wanted to throw a lot of things into this and I think that's one of those things that suffered kind of like the skinheads and the the cyber goons there were supposed to be more of them so that's why we don't really see these things completely uh, developed well, also, we never got the payoff for the painting of Ace. Yeah. I don't know There's where that... There's a painting of Ace in the 1638 clothing. Right. I was waiting for that, and then I forgot. I don't, I don't remember where, if that pays off. Like think... in a future episode? Yeah, I think... I, I, I don't know. Well, I just thought the doctor was playing chess. You know, someone else was playing it, and he's showing that he's behind things, and he's moving everybody around and orchestrating things. Like a chess player. Which I did get. I did pick that up from it. But I just felt like the first time they came back to the tent, he specifically mentioned that the pieces were moved. Which means he didn't start the chess game with himself or whatever. You know, like, I, I, I assumed whoever moved the, removed the dude's body was the one who moved the chess pieces and that there was going to be more to it than that. Okay. Part of me wondered if we were going to see, like, a future doctor went back before this doctor and was manipulating things in that way. How I got it, it was a, himself in the past. Because he was saying he set his alarm so that it would go off. So he was already aware of the summer nemesis and sending it into orbit. So he's already done that. And he knew Which is pain for. That it's, makes it's, sense. So the way he said it, it was like, he, they always have just like these one-line explanations. We talked about this before that nowadays we need more to either see it or explain it a little bit more. These one-off lines aren't the same as what we're used to watching nowadays. Because it was, it seemed like, I kind of liked it when his alarm went off. It's like, oh, he already did this. And now it's just reminding him that what he did so that he would remember also, when he's in the spot. So I like that. To go that along with what you just said. Explained oh, sorry. No, go ahead. It would make sense if the doctor was the one who left that note also because for some reason she knows who the doctor is and threatens to spill his secrets how would she know that unless they've met before right yeah yeah that makes sense this is regardless this is so much to have to deduce (laughs) given all of the hints and the clues that we were given it's like wow okay especially just in a three hour or three episode there's only an hour and a half or so and so it's like you only have the most storylines are at least six to eight you know, this one only had three, so they just really chopped a lot of things out of it. Well, maybe that it was to make room for the Cybermen if it wasn't mm. originally part of the story. Because what you just described sounds like a pretty full story in and of itself, without involving a you know a third a, th- a third antagonist. 
I, I like Payne for it as a villain. I and I mm-hmm. I really like the idea of this story that does incorporate like time travel in a way that I think is often missing from Doctor Who. Like the ideas that you know we're going before to affect things now, and um, even the painting of Ace if it's not explained later, it's still kind of a whole thing. Well, you haven't done it yet, but it's still here. So I like the ideas behind it. I And I, like I said, I really like Payne Ford as a villain. And yeah, it would have been really cool to see her fleshed out more. Um, I think, you know, she's a time traveling magic wielder. She, it seems like she could have been an equal of some sort to the doctor um, and could have been like a, a neat season foil. If it was today, you know, if it was a modern season, yeah. like she would have been the, the red or the, the secret, the bad wolf, you know, of the season would have been really neat, especially if she could do more time travel and kind of defeat the doctor at his own game. Am I the only moron who thought she might possibly have been based on a real figure because of the detail of her tomb and her all this other stuff? I thought maybe she was like some lady with a bad reputation, like who got burned at the stake for being a witch or something. But anyway, that they wrote into this episode. (laughs) I can see that. Think but, that, but uh, I did nope, think for a moment she might have been the master for mm. a moment. That's and I was, thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I like their dialogue too. Like I that it was kind of that old English phrasing, and but just just enough to like you know separate them, but also kind of endear them. And and Richard, the actor who played Richard, like the servant. At one point he's praying as like the cyber attack. Is I know going on. He, that was I, that I was some good business. Yeah, I was not expecting that from him. He's like really committed to this role. Yeah, I I agree. I like these two, especially in comparison to uh, La Flores and mm. his German accent, which was just so cartoony. And um, I felt like these two, their old English accents were much better. And I almost imagine that these were two um, Shakespearean actors that they got to be in this Doctor Who episode because they just seemed, they, 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 very they felt, yes, they felt very natural with this old English, whereas like the actor who played De Flores, I would be shocked if he's actually German. Well, maybe I'm the odd one out then, because I didn't like it. I didn't think, I mean, the camera was something, but it's also just stagnant. It looked like a amateur production either that we would do in high school or even college. The way that they were holding the guns and shooting and how they, it just, everything. Her delivery, I didn't think was good. I thought it was just. Well, it was very over the top and hammy, but that's how, how I was watching at it. um, As I was watching, I thought, this is a really well done high school play. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's kind of how it, because like some of it, like I said earlier, like there's a lot of camera work in this. It doesn't always work, but there's a lot of it. You know, and they're like, man, these, they're really going for these performances. They are swinging for the fences here. So this, I'd rather someone push it than pull it, than, than, than hold back. But um, I, yeah, I do agree because, uneasy. yeah, because l- listening to the behind the scenes and the commentary, they d- definitely were ambitious and maybe too ambitious for what the production was able to do. And so, again, sort of like echoing what you said, Josh, I'd rather them try instead of yeah. pull back. Well, it's kind of like, Hey, let's have a shot like this with the special effects. Well, it won't look good, but can we do it? Yeah, well, let's do it. Yeah. 
uh, <laughs> I will say I like the doctor throughout. Like I really am. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. McCoy, so. Yeah. He was super charming though. I don't, yeah, I don't know much about this doctor, but what I saw, I actually didn't think he was this cute and charming. <laughs> that was news to me. So, and I really liked Ace a lot too. Yeah, this duo I do like a oh, lot. Ace is great. Know. I like so it. this is what uh, I kind of know is classic Who, and when we were doing when we first started, and Eccleston and Rose and everybody was uh, talking about the romantic connection with them. Like this is a connection that is you can kind of not mirror, but like look and compare against because it's an older man and a younger companion, female companion, but there is no romantic things at all going on between them and i like that they just they just play it the way it's supposed to play and so again this could be just me knowing classic who going into eccleston and uh, billy piper and kind of seeing that as the same character as the doctor and not seeing any romantic entanglement so again that's that's why i like these two they have good chemistry together too their their comedic timing is, is really uh, on with each other yeah and, and they still get along in real life, and it's great to hear them in commentary on how casual they are with each other, and it's nice. I think also what's nice about Ace's character, especially in this one with the Doctor, is she is making choices on her own that yeah. the Doctor like would even advise her against. But they come, they, they end up being um, the right choices, you know, like, oh, I hope you didn't bring any of the explosives and yeah, she's the like Metro of course knife. i did yes <laughs> so like and, and stuff like that is nice because i think in the modern who we get companions that will sometimes go against the doctor but uh, maybe it's more for like when they get scolded or it's for selfish reasons or it's for you know things that don't work out where this it, it is nice to see that she's not just like doing whatever the doctor says because the doctor like, says it she's got her own thoughts and, yeah yeah well yeah, you the, are looking the at the i was going to say that the goal is the same they just have different ways of achieving the goal where the other one where what I, I think what you're talking about with like clara is that there is that selfish motivation that we all have expressed or even like i think maybe the pawns at some point and others like if they go against the doctor like the doctor's instructions it's often you know for their own personal gain or or something yeah. that that they want like whatever goal that is where i like this with ace is like she's also on mission but she's mm -hmm. doing it you know the way that she knows how even yeah. if the doctor doesn't agree but he ends right. up agreeing in the end because he knows because yeah. it got the result he wanted. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like that, like, tension. Like, there's subtext to it, you know? There's multiple layers, so that's that's nice. Mm -hmm. You're also seeing the broken-in model of Ace. I guess I'm going to be the harsh one, because... Huh? I was saying you're also seeing the broken-in model of Ace, because mm -hmm. earlier the Doctor is like, you have explosives, you're carrying around explosives, and he's really upset with her. So he kind of, you know, mellows out when things turn out all right. But he's not happy with the way she has the explosives. And I was going to say that I guess I'm the harsh one in this um, episodes, but I've seen better high school plays than this. Um, but for the things I do like, Ace blows up a cyber ship. So yay. Yeah. Yay. The doctor covering their noise with the bird calls, because that's totally him. That's yeah. Sylvester. So, so he that did was that, really nice. He, he did that on the commentary because they asked him, was that added in? He's like, no, that was 100% me. And he just does it on command. It was great. Yeah, so and, that I thought was really a great yeah. fit because he sounded 
great. So it's like, okay, that's mm -hmm. what it is. <laughs> so everyone bought that. I laughed heartily at looking for patterns in jazz. I'm sorry, with jazz, it's just free flowing and going. So I don't I just thought getting a pattern in that. And that was very funny. And going back to when uh, what you mentioned about uh, Ace blowing up the cyber ship, the doctor's lines of, hello, I'm the doctor. I believe. I believe you want to kill me <laughs> as he distracts them. And then Ace uses the Nitro-9. I was like, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do like the two of them together. I think they're a good companion doctor. So that, yes, I do like that. Um, I like that the doctor kind of tricked the Cyberman. was like, what are you going to do? Just walk up here and give you the bow? Here's the bow. He comes in yeah. <laughs> just so that the um, nemesis can follow the bow. So it's hooked to it. You know, like a magnet. Yeah. So I thought that and was he uses a the, good idea. And he uses the umbrella to kind of like take yes. it away. <laughs> <laughs> that was this doctor. That was great for Sylvester. And then I didn't like, this is just me, but the typical American rich lady from the South. Wait, is that the next episode or is that? It's the next wrong? episode. Next episode. Oh, is it? <laughs> okay, sorry. I definitely want to talk about her. So I was Oh, waiting. we will. We will. We will. <laughs> the, the blowing up of the ship. Um, like watching it again as she throws the bag into the ship, like you can see her reflection on the piece of metal that's right at the door. Do you know, was that partly practical and partly like yes. drawn in? Okay. Yeah. So um, they definitely used models where they could for the bigger landing wider shots, but that square um, cargo bay, Mm -hmm. um, exit that was definitely practical because uh, one of the wider shots you see that kind of poor matte painting over it okay but i thought that whole sequence of her throwing the bag in and then the explosion was was really good like debris from yeah. the explosion like landing uh, like yeah. yeah there was some parts that looked very nice again but... that that that's where they used the budget on yeah speaking of that that one sort of tracking shot where it's hovering into the forest I think when it before it right before it lands, I'm like, I see what you did there. <laughs> it's not. It's not horrible. It's not horrible, but it's also not great. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just you know they were able to do a lot of things because of the newer technology, but they couldn't do them very well because it wasn't great technology and have the budget to do it with the way features do it and stuff like that. Or time. Or time. Yeah. I mean, it's just it. Well, time is money, but I think it was successful. Uh, okay. I have one more thing. I just have one more thing before we move on to, uh, before we leave this part yeah. two. Something that amused me, and I know we've already talked about the Cybermen a little bit and the differences between like classic Cybermen and modern Cybermen, but when when they set, when they moved the statue into Lady Painfort's, um, like not her tomb, like what do you call that? Like the crypt? Yeah, the crypt. When they move it into the crypt and then later they, the, the, the head Cyberman informs the rest that like the reason they did that was to, to make her go mad and like they're like she'll she'll find that it's her crypt and the crypt is in disarray or it's like worn down or something and that will just make her mad and it's just like it was just like again like it's not I'm not used to hearing reasoning Cybermen and so it's just very amusing to think that like these Cybermen are trying to play mind games on their enemy but then she does kind of go mad. And so, you know. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, speaking of that, she shows Richard his tomb 
which is something that has kind of been going on with the 11th Doctor, like Transalore and then mm. Amy and Rory in uh, Angels Take Manhattan, they see their headstones. So again, mm. it's a little connective tissue to the modern version recovering. Painfort and Richard have a standoff with the Doctor and the Cyber Leader. Painfort threatens to reveal who the Doctor really is. He agrees to give the bow to her in exchange for her silence, but he gives it to the Cyber Leader instead. The Doctor doesn't care if everyone knows his secrets, and Painfort realizes she has no leverage. The Cyber Leader tells the Doctor to order the statue to destroy its destructive capabilities. The Doctor gives the bow back to the statue, asking if she heard the Cyber Leader, and she says yes. Painfort screams insanely, runs to the ship, and merges with the statue. The ship takes off and destroys itself and the cyber ships. The Doctor didn't order it to destroy its capabilities. He only asked if she'd heard the cyber leader say that. Richard grabs an arrow that's been stuck to the TARDIS and kills the cyber leader. And that's that. They return Richard to 1638. Ace still wants to know who the Doctor is, but he's not talking. So a little thing to kind of tie it with Modern Who, the whole thing of Doctor Who from uh, the headless blue guy, Dorian Maldivore. Yeah, so we get that uh, in this classic episode. Did they do that more often in the classics? Like have somebody say Doctor Who or not Not as much as they? I don't remember them doing it as much as Moffat does. Yeah, I don't Well, the guy's wearing question marks all over him. Yeah, but that. the question is, did they ask Doctor <laughs> Who? And I don't remember hearing that. <laughs> um, we see here, that we were reminded of in a recent episode we did with the Cybermen that gold is a weakness to the Cybermen. Oh, that was new to me. Yeah, but... that's happened in Modern Who and I just can't remember uh, where, but it was recent. Okay. In Modern Who? Yeah. Oh, because I thought the Cybermen were immune to that. I just remember it from something we did recently and I am not recalling it right now. Okay. But uh, that whole thing of the Flores when he gets kind of cornered, he throws gold dust at the Cybermen. <laughs> it reminds yeah. me of that Star Wars meme, pocket sand. Pocket sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Cybermen being taken out by arrows that have barely punctured them, coins, and it's dust. Gold. It's, just... it's gold. But it's poison also. It's dipped in poison. <laughs> That's just the arrows. That's True. why the the coins, the one was able to to Fuck survive the coin, yeah, yeah attack. Because it didn't have mostly poison. dead. <laughs> mostly but dead. Yeah, it's like hitting a werewolf with a silver bullet. It's dead. Well, it was funny because uh, you know Ace throughout these few episodes kept brandishing her. Um, oh my god! Thank you. She kept, she kept she kept brandishing her slingshot with no. Um, apparent reason and all that stuff but it was like all to set up the fact that in the end of the third episode she's going to use them otherwise it would have been like where did that come from even though if you weren't familiar with the fact that she has one Chekhov's gun exactly <laughs> does ace have a slingshot in other episodes or was it specifically to this I think story? so okay. i think she right. does yeah yeah slingshot baseball bat like she's her whole deal is she's an explosives anarchist. Right, yeah. That, she's, she's prepped and ready. Yeah. I do Very like how clean she did, uh, anarchist. The, you know, she had the three Cybermen around her. 
and she does that. I'm going to kill you, and the other two are going to shoot over me and hit each other. Like, yeah. Oh, Ace. It, it's good. brilliant. I just love that. I laughed so hard. They had a real cool tracking shot with her running across like a big warehouse room. Oh, the yes. gantry door. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and, then you, was... and then if you notice, the cameraman hits the railing but keeps going. Oh, no, going. I didn't notice no, that. No, <laughs> I didn't notice that. Um, but there was a lot of good sh- – that was pretty much the sequence I was sort of referring to earlier where there's a lot of really cool shots that they could only do now because of the convenience of that modern day's video cameras. Yes. Yeah. So, so and, that and particular – I was trying to – I was going to say that particular sequence was – kind of sprung onto ace because they said we're going to do the shot it's going to be no more higher than a ceiling and she, oh. she was kind of afraid of heights and so when they brought her up all the way up there she was like this is chicken wire underneath me <laughs> <laughs> my god but she acted like she wasn't afraid so that was great yeah i want to know about the camera because weren't cameras well now this is 88 but like Oh well, I guess they did have steady cams then, but it was it was kind of like it's not handheld because it's not jittery. It did seem well, kind of steady cameras because it did kind of move like this. They may have had you know, they had steady cams back then. They were just big and bulky. Yeah, it was something, or or maybe they it was a dolly. They just used old film you know techniques. Could have just been on a dolly. Didn't quite look it. But there but, was no. Um, but she wasn't running on running? a track. No, 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 the track would. The track is underneath the cameras, so you you don't see oh, the dolly okay. track because it's going quite fast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's very smooth. That one might have been hand just handheld, and mm-hmm. the guy was just good. It's really good handheld, though. Yeah, well, because you you can see that that hit. As yeah, like you see the hit, and so that's what make makes me smooth yeah, yeah. It makes me think that there's somebody holding that because he's just following her. Again, it's very ambitious and. It works. Yeah. Yeah. I even like the hit because it makes me think, oh, there's danger up there. This is not rehearsed. It's not. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, the recent Cyberman episode was Nightmare in Silver. That's why I couldn't remember because I'm thinking of Silver Nemesis. That's the one with Matt Smith and. Uh... Matt Smith. Mm. But yeah, her still gold is their weakness still. And one. playing chess. Chess plays an important That's role in that true. one. That's true. Wow, look at that. Other modern new connections. Well, beef, as a precursor to the lady, I, I thought it was very comical um, that he saw someone get picked up hitchhiking and attempted to do it himself <laughs> and was unsuccessful for quite some time. So that was really cute. Yeah, like he um, knew how to extend his thumb that he had to do that, but he didn't realize to like, put it up. He, had to, he held it sideways. Yeah, he didn't show enough leg either. That was the yeah. problem. <laughs> so, so, for the li- <laughs> so for the listeners, uh, Painfort and Richard are stuck, and they see a hitchhiker get a ride, so they attempt to get a ride as well. There's a lot of traffic on that road. Yeah, really. Yeah. Eventually, they are successful with a limousine, of all things, and it, it is she's a so, nice she's, southern lady from America. <laughs> she's such a rich American, she was able to bring her limousine over. So true. That's right, she was. And she just could not wait to pick up these people in period costume and not even ask them about why they were dressed like that. <laughs> well, well, Americans are weird like that. So that's uh, Mrs. Remington. She's played by Dolores Gray, who's a Tony Award-winning singer-actress in America. And oh, so she was American. Yeah, and she was uh, doing a, a Sondheim play in the West End, so the production oh. crew approached oh. her and said, we'd like you to have a cameo. Play the obnoxious American. 
she brought her own uh, jewelry and a funny story about that they were in like a or an attache case and the bellhop or concierge forgot to pack it when they packed her uh, car and so they had to find this attache case with all her real life her, her own jewels but they found it and um, they did an old-fashioned facelift with her by physically taping the skin back mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what, funny. to make her look more plastic because that's what americans look like or what yeah Maybe. sure yes <laughs> i guarantee you people watched this episode and at the end they went boy they really nailed that american that's exactly how they are <laughs> that i was exact- never I- in a rush I, I liked totally. her though. I think I'm that sure she I'm, was a because Lady Painburn has lost her mind and is talking about owning it all in the past, present, future, and she's just like, "You're that's right, honey," like or whatever. That's right, dear. Like I was, I was waiting for them to kill her because <laughs> because if it, like she was part of the family, like some like her ancestors were an enemy of her. Well, she says know. she killed some of her ancestors. Right, right. I was just waiting for that to come in. She's also definitely a commentary. Yeah, they're... on annoying tourists. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but it is definitely mocking Americans, and they they. Sure. So many. I'm, I mean, I'm not kidding when British people are like, oh, yeah, every American is exactly like that. They all sound like that. They all dress like that. They all shove their money. You know, they show their money around. Be fair, we do come. We do go over there to to follow our lineage and like. Yeah. And the I'm lineage sure, thing, I'm too. I'm sure there's they thousands and thousands of us over there doing that. So, like, I totally got it. Like, we would yeah. make fun of them for coming here and, you know, doing something in a cowboy hat i don't know yeah i mean how most british characters in the 80s on television wore tweed had glasses yeah drank tea oh yeah both sides did it but i actually didn't mind it i i actually got a good chuckle out of it and i mean i it's not like i didn't mind it either episodes seriously so i was like this is a nice (laughs) little comedy twist i'll take it i didn't i didn't mind it at all and again it was completely useless I mean, but you didn't see it coming. Nobody saw that. No, coming. nobody <laughs> saw that coming. No. Um, well, okay. So, when the doctor is having that time alone with the silver nemesis, right? And you know, this is—I think this might be the moment where we learn that he's the one who launched it. Maybe even he's the one who brought it to Earth originally. I can't remember when we learned these things, but he's giving it its new instructions to kill the cyber fleet and. There's this exchange where the silver nemesis is like, after I do that, something like, can I take my, like... Freedom? Yeah, can I be free? Well, yeah, there's some dialogue before that, but I guess the most important thing is that, can I, will I be free? And the doctor's like, no. Like, um, like, I might need you later. And she's like, that's what she said the last time. And, And I don't know, just like that whole, like, I don't know, there's just, it was so loaded. So I'm mm-hmm. like, what is going on there? And are we getting set up for something else? And what does this say about the doctor? And that Yeah, I remember it. But by then I but by then I was so like, they're just throwing everything in. The writers didn't even know what that line meant. You know. They're just throwing in everything and, and by then I was numb to it. I, I do like that, you know, it's it's because it's television and you need actors to portray things. But um, I like that the weapon is personified, even if it's in the statue. And it, it definitely reminded me of um, the moment. Is that the name of the weapon uh-huh. that yeah. 
is the box. like that Billy Piper plays. Yeah. Yes. Rose, the image of Rose, where it's like these Gallifreyan weapons are all like intelligent and they're they're their own thoughtful beings in many ways. And so I like that that connection was also there. Like, um, but these weapons with a conscience or with like sentience, free some sort of yeah sentience and like wanting to be free but still being captive uh or even if they're just captive to their own like uh programming or uh creation is is kind of cool like i like it and and again it's because it's television so it's much easier to have an actor playing something that can then talk than just like uh uh what uh, like a, a red herring not red herring but like a uh a, a Gizmo, yeah, okay. or something that's just like, oh, this is like the world destroyer, and I just gotta flip a button. It's mm. cool to have those actually be characters that then almost grapple with their own, you know, uh, purpose in life, which is to destroy. So that's that's fun for this version of the silver nemesis being named Nemesis, mm -hmm. it is about destruction, so it makes you think that, like, in another form. For another purpose that would be not destruction but just interesting that the doctor has used this weapon before he stole it from gallifrey he's used it before he plans to use it again because it's not all perfect yet i think is the line that the doctor says so it's just like who is this doctor that he's like what trying to fix the world well fix I, the universe fix the galaxies like what it, and especially in you know, the story that you know has Nazis in it, like that's kind of leaning towards this idea of the same thing that the Nazis were after, which is a pure or perfect or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was kind of weird for the doctor to also say that. But like Brian said, it's probably just the writers trying to sound mysterious or sound. Right. Well, I'm yeah. with Ace at this point. Then, Doctor, who are you? Like, I I want to know now. Well, uh, I was also going to say about Ace with you know they had the picture of ace and that kind of stuff they were setting up ace to be more than what she appeared to be and then it got canceled they never went anywhere with it but there were hints were there hints in remembrance of daleks i want to say there were um i think that's where we first brought it up so probably first brought it up yeah yeah where yeah wasn't she gonna turn out to be a time lady or something yes that was their initial or their original plan was to reveal that ace is a part-time lady or full-time lady i can't remember like half-time lord interesting is that what you yeah. mean by part-time uh, was okay. there any what was the logic or the motivation for lady Penafort to merge with the statue in some way i i i just was like i i, I don't know okay like it looked like her to begin with or didn't and then she it was her, her the whole thing with her her body not being in her tomb and then her goal was to get in there and merge with it like i just i didn't i couldn't really follow like what the purpose like why did she even want to do that was that her plan to begin with with um and remember there there's also the round heads uh, also show up and uh, does anyone remember the doctor drops that line like the last yeah. time I was here with the round yeah. heads yeah do we know who the round heads are yeah I they're a they're um they were a faction some some either the kings the enemy called them round heads just because of mm. the way they had their hair oh are they historical figures not uh-huh um, yeah there really um... are things called the round heads uh round heads were the supporters of the Parliament of England during the English Civil War 
Man, sometimes it's helpful to be British when you're watching this. They fought against. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. You've got me. Just the skosh. <laughs> uh, they fought against King Charles the First. I guess they cut his head off. Okay. I do want to see why they were called Roundheads. There was the interesting characters. Uh, were they like punks? Punk like skinhead? The skinheads. Oh, skinheads. Neo Nazis. Okay. Oh, okay. So that's okay. Then that's better. You look like social workers. We want better live. Yeah, it was some funny dialogue, but I did like uh, Richard's line. I forget what it was now, even. But money, you say? Yeah, and that. Yeah, those two probably spent an entire day in their underwear hanging upside down, it, and they it, probably got paid nothing. You know, they're probably it, stuntmen. Uh, cool. uh, in the, in the commentary, they were wearing boxers to hide the harnesses that they mm. were um, strung up by. Oh, yes. oh wow. Sorry, um, round tops were Puritans, but not all Puritans were round tops. But if you were a round top, you were a Puritan like our Puritans. Mm. Mm. And they they uh, wore their hair closely cropped round the head, or they had it flat to counterbalance between uh, nobles who wore the long hair. Oh, the, like the wigs, that type of thing, or no? Yeah, long okay. ringlets, as they say. Yeah, During yeah. the war, Roundhead was a term of derision, and then they kind of turned it around and used it for their own purpose. Ooh, Cavalier was also... Nah, sorry. Uh, as I mentioned before, there is a commentary on the DVD. There's Andrew Cartmel, who's the script editor. He's not necessarily the showrunner, but he saw a lot of, oversaw a lot of the writing. And uh, Chris Clough, the director of these episodes, is on there at first. And then Sophie Aldred and Sylvester McCoy show up later in the uh, the commentary. Not I don't remember if it's in the middle of the first episode or the second episode, but they they are not there at the beginning, and then they come in later. It's very fun. As I mentioned, they they are okay calling the effects dodgy, so I like that they can poke fun of themselves. Uh, Sophie grew up being scared of the Cybermen. She said that her mom would uh, turn off the TV because she was hiding behind the couch and said, "Okay, no more Doctor Who for a while." Um, so for her to, and she was specifically afraid of the Cybermen. So this was kind of her full circle to kind of face them off in person. So she talks a little bit about that. So that was fun. And then we have uh, Sylvester McCoy being the doctor. Sophie Aldred is ace. And uh, De Flores is played by Anton Diffring. He was a Fabian in Fort Fahrenheit 451, the original movie. And then Colonel Kramer in Where Eagles Dare with Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton, where he also plays a Nazi. So he kind of made a career playing Nazis. And he was... I feel like guys who play Nazis always play Nazis. Like, yeah. There's a collection of them. And yeah. it's like you just open up the file and you go, oh. I know. This is who we're going to cast today. Yeah, Nazi will be. And he was born in Germany. So that's probably why he got that part for most of his life. Then we have Lady Painfort, played by Fiona Walker. She was previous, previously in Sentence of Death as Kala. That's a first Doctor serial. Mm. Gerard Murphy plays Richard Maynard, who was Judge Faden in Batman Begins. He's the crooked judge that uh, Bruce Wayne finds at that uh, mobster bar when he goes to uh, confront mm. uh, Falcone. He's one of those guys that is being paid off. And wow. then he was Nord in Waterworld, if you remember that with Kevin Costner. He was the uh he had long red hair who was sort of 
a third-party advisor to uh, Dennis Hopper. Oh. Yeah. I only remember the incredible water show at uh, Universal Studios. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Not the actual movie. So. <laughs> Honestly, the water show is more famous than the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah, that's everybody. That's like 90%. Yeah, that's 90% of the people watching that show, right? They have never seen the movie. <laughs> uh, Leslie French plays the mathematician who gets killed by Lady Painfort. He was in The Living Daylights, and he originally, or I think he read for the first Doctor. Yeah, so it's nice to have him in Doctor Who, finally. Martin Reed plays a security guard. We mentioned Dolores Gray as Mrs. Remington. And then the jazz quartet was uh, Courtney Pine, Professor Courtney Pine, Adrian Reed, Ernest Mothel, and Frank Tonto. Uh, David Banks plays the cyber leader. He started off as a cyber leader in Earthshock with the Fifth Doctor, and then continued to play a cyber leader in The Five Doctors, Attack of the Cybermen, which we did with the Sixth Doctor, and a cyber leader in The Silver Nemesis, which we are doing now. The Cyber Lieutenant is played by Mark Hardy. He started on the Doctor Who show as a swampy warrior in The Power of Kroll with the Fourth Doctor, and then played Cybermen in Earthshock and The Five Doctors as well. Uh, Brian Oral also played a Cyberman. He was in Attack of the Cybermen as well. Uh, the Skinheads are played by Chris Charing, who was previously in Time and the Rani, and Simmond Laws. And then uh, Queen Elizabeth II is played by Mary Reynolds. And uh, as I mentioned, that she has made a career doing comedy shows as the stand-in for the Queen. Oh, she's out of work now. Not a bit of a period piece. <laughs> oh, good point. All right, so final thoughts on Silver Nemesis. Um, I really enjoyed the story. Uh, I thought there was, you know, room for, there was promise of more in the Lady Penfort and the, the Doctor's story with the time travel, which is always nice, you know, to have that open-endedness because it, it helps the world feel bigger. Like, you know, we've said before, like there's adventures happening when we're not watching. Um, although, like, the the interesting story to me might have been like the how that time loop played out where the doctor initially set the comet and like what happened at that point but overall um you know this was fun i i think ace was maybe at her best according to you to you guys like she <laughs> had some struggle finding the character early on so it was really cool seeing ace um and the doctor together um no i would definitely uh recommend this to somebody that was interested in classic who and i think the thing that we didn't mention um like this doctor you know played radagast so he's somebody mm -hmm. that people i think would recognize even today and um yeah so i would definitely recommend this to somebody looking for a classic who to watch i thought it was fun if you can get past the dated flaws it was fun and sylvester mccoy is great that's kind of how I just sat back and enjoyed it. I kept asking myself, why did Juji pick this episode for us to watch? <laughs> I did not like it. I did not think it was done well. I don't know if it's supposed to be a six episode and they just didn't have the money or time or slots to put it, where they just kind of cut it down into just some of the basic without explaining a lot. I thought some of it was just very amateur. So I would not introduce anybody to Classico with this one. Um, yeah, no, I don't like it. 
Um, it's it like a lot of classic who it just bounces all over the place with not much a lot of the bouncing around there's no reason for it it's just to kill time and there's a lot of killing time in this serial i'm glad it was only three episodes um but like frank says it probably would have been better if it was longer but that also kind of terrifies me um <laughs> yeah i don't i you know, i love the seventh doctor and i really really love ace i think they're both great i think they both yeah. they work well separately they work well together everything else every single thing else in this episode just fell flat for me sorry don't be sorry it's your opinion oh and before we move on that action figure that you have behind your head yes eugene yes is that the specific action figure from this episode uh, i don't know the, they actually sell an the one with the painting figure with, with the, the painting. painting yeah this is this one is not the one it's the one from remembrance of the dogs because it has the rpg and the bat Oh, okay. Because I just thought it was interesting that they actually have the portrait. Yeah. You know? Telling it's like, me God, they sell I wanted... that portrait and there's no explanation for it. There is none. Like someone, it, but there was someone going took to the be. time to make a it toy was. and it doesn't even matter. Yeah. It was a uh, deleted... Or it's in Big Finish. I don't know. Yeah. It, it was a deleted scene. I looked it up or... So, yeah. Oh. And her so boombox. Her boombox yeah, th- is there. Th- th- this one does not come with the boombox. Yeah, okay. Because I was just looking. I, I, I was like... Wait, that's an ace action figure. I must have one of those. I need it. Shut up, Frank. <laughs> he didn't say a word, but you know me so well. <laughs> well, I liked this episode probably more than any classic who that I've been asked to watch for this podcast. And I don't know if that was because of the chemistry between, I mean, part of it was the chemistry between the doctor and the companion. Um, I think the other classic Who episode that I have enjoyed as much as I enjoyed this one was Remembrance of the Daleks. And I think I at that point I was like, I want to watch more of this doctor and this companion. And I did not. So, so thank you for picking this one so that I could watch more of this doctor and um, Ace because I think they're just great. But this episode did um capture my imagination and keep my attention more than other classic who episodes so i i enjoyed it i would probably watch it again um i agree that there are parts where it's slow i did fall asleep on the second watch but but i always fall asleep like i feel like after the first part i needed i needed to walk away for a couple hours and then i would have watched the second part with more um uh focus and energy and energy yeah but um no i i really liked the story and the and yeah everything about it i really have no complaints uh i half agree with you i think it's really fun and i judge classic episodes way less harshly because i don't have a sort of preconceived notion of what there's these doctors are supposed to be like or what the companions are supposed to be like or whatever um so i did have a lot of fun watching it however i do have complaints <laughs> and um those for me it's not even the bad special effects or or any of that my complaint is all of those unanswered questions you know that somehow maybe it's because they had to cut stuff for the cybermen we said that but that's not a good enough excuse for me to leave all these open-ended things like the painting and 
the chess game and all that. So that was the main problem I had with it. But if you can get over that, I mean, I had an enjoyable viewing experience. I wouldn't really call it, you know, grade A television, but um, I didn't want to rip my eyeballs out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's always the goal with the BBC. We've done, uh, with this pair, we've done uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, uh, Battlefield, which is the one with the Brigadier, and then right now Silver Nemesis, so that's three we've done with uh, Sylvester McCoy. Oh yeah, so I I think it's been sort of clear with my connections with Modern Who, I think we brought them up sort of organically. I was going to list them at the end, but I think uh, everybody sort of brought and touched upon certain things of just a connective tissue of uh, Modern Who with Classic Who. Uh, I do enjoy this, and I think it's because when I watch, Mo- uh, sorry, when I watch Classic Who, I'm mainly looking for the chemistry between the companions, companion, and the Doctor. Uh, Ace and the Seventh Doctor is just, you can see how Modern Who evolved from that. Yeah. Because um, they are just two people on a mission. They have the same goal. The chemistry works together they work together well and then you see in interviews and in commentary the off-screen chemistry that they have is also genuine in there so i i do enjoy hearing them talk uh for the commentary and on the behind the scenes stuff uh, so all these uh dodgy quote-unquote dodgy special effects that they have termed i can kind of forgive just because like brian brought up this was uh third season of next generation and we're still getting dodgy special effects like come on i just felt like they put the money into all the pyrotechnics where they could have put money into a more a stronger script like i get it you want to use the silver anniversary the silver season the 25th season by inter- by bringing in the cybermen why didn't you do that from the beginning why did you have to shoehorn them in and then make all these other things suffer where certain plot lines and plot threads weren't realized in the script and seeing Sylvester McCoy in person at Rose City Comic Con, plug, shameless plug, <laughs> uh, he was he was a lot of fun. So I can see how he became, or why he was casted as the the Seventh Doctor. He's he's got that energy, and for he's very spry for an old man. So I was amazed at how how much energy he gave to the audience in that panel. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, Silver Nemesis more than some of us did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that wraps up the Silver Nemesis. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time when the future becomes the present. You just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. Additional music is by Damiel Paggio. Additional music by Paul Ohlers. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn, and you can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Who Knew Podcast. All our episodes are on Who Knew Podcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to support Who Knew Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, Subscribe to us on Amazon Music. And then ask your Amazon device to play your podcast subscriptions. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who, the longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. 
Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. Hello, this is Sylvester McCoy. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Clever name.